Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 69. My name is is Crossman. (laughs) I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we've seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 1992 movie, Wayne's World. So, Charles, tell us about it. These two dudes named Wayne and Garth make a TV show in their basement. And they get noticed by a studio exec who thinks it'd be good to piggyback off them uh, to advertise for a big arcade company. So they pick them up, but Wayne and Garth are like really out of their element and they don't like feeling controlled by the studio execs and their sponsorship requirements. And so they end up falling out of it. And at the same time, Wayne falls in love with a band leader uh, who he pursues, but then the studio exec also tries to go after her, but Wayne ends up winning her over um, by getting her a big recording deal, or out of one of the like three endings. Maybe, that they have. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, as a mm-hmm. weirdly ambiguous ending. Uh, this was this was your selection. Other than lining up Wayne's World with episode number sixty nine, uh, why did you <laughs> select this? Uh, I like this movie a lot. I do too. I've, I've seen this movie many times, okay. and it, I like I still crack up to the jokes <laughs> in this movie, even though I probably know most of them by heart. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think it's a pretty funny movie. It's also it was one of the highest rated SNL movies, which don't have a great track record. A lot of low cards in that hand. A lot of low cards. <laughs> Actually, Rotten Tomatoes, and the Rotten Tomatoes is a list of this and noted that um, the It's Pat movie is not just very low rated, but one of the worst rated movies <laughs> ever. Ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> period. Um, and there's a few 11 percenters, which... Uh, one of which is neither Roxbury, which I strongly disagree with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the only two like well-rated SNL movies that people know about are um, the Blues Brothers movie and, and this movie. Yeah, I didn't know that was an SNL movie. It, it, it kind of depends. It depends how you define SNL movie because uh, if you want to be very strict about it, it is movies based on an SNL sketch. Yeah. Right. But I think there's like a reasonable broader definition that includes like. People, SNL alum who make movies that really could be an SNL sketch. I'm pretty sure there were Blues Brothers sketches on right. SNL. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were I there so. Wayne's World sketches? Oh yes. yeah. 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 Okay. A bunch. Like they were. Really I haven't seen that much SNL, so. And yeah. they're actually, uh, Mike Myers did Wayne's World sketches before he was on SNL too. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. There was. But so he, he actually did sell out then. Like he did the thing <laughs> that happens in the movie. Yeah, I think the character was more fully developed on SNL, and okay. it didn't include Garth, obviously. Right. Yeah, he was on like an, a Canadian sketch show or like some sort of like Canadian rock show, and he like did the character on that. All right. You mean pre SNL? Because SNL. Pre SNL. It, it did happen. And then he joined SNL, and Wayne's World was the sketch on SNL for many years. For many years. Yeah, it was super popular. Like every time they would come on, it would be one of those ones. It would be like when uh, Weekend Update or something starts. Like you get like a big applause for that. Uh, okay. It was the same kind of thing. Yeah, it was like one of the sketches that everybody looked forward to. Yeah, like Black I was wondering Kaepernick why now. they didn't introduce the show too much. In the movie, because I guess right. people already knew. Yeah, well, and really, there's not that much to introduce, right? It's well, like, it's I don't, even, I can't, I can't even describe well, what the show is about. I would just call it a variety show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically it. Yeah, that's correct. Had you seen Wayne's World on SNL before, or had you ever seen interact with the sketches? Um, well, I didn't even know it was a sketch. So. Okay, <laughs> obviously so not. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing, one thing I think it's funny that this movie does is it's almost like speaking directly to the people who, who had never seen the sketch before. At the beginning of the movie, Wayne is just like, this is who I am. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I have a show. 
in my basement. Uh, my basement with my parents. And then he like he basically just like runs down through like what the Wayne's World sketch is. And then yeah. it's just like, all right, moving on. <laughs> yeah, we're, now we're that's doing the movie. The thing. Yep. Um, so there's the setup. You get, you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's all you need to know. I think that's a really good way to like kind of cut through it. Yeah. Because the movie's going to be silly anyways, but it does kind of prep you for like, okay, like I'm on board. Like I have this explanation now. And right. Well, they introduce it in a silly way. Like he. Yeah. It, it immediately breaks the fourth wall. Right, and like they stick with that the whole movie. <laughs> like they're really loyal to that kind of meta thing, and it's, so I, yeah, I think that it, it's effective and it gets you to where you need to be, so you're not bogging yourself down with fucking plot. Because who gives a shit about the plot in an SNL movie? It's it's about the gags, and yeah. they get, that's what they're there for, and they get to that right away. Right. Um, I guess before we get too deep, like, what did you think of this movie, Charles? Um, I enjoyed many of the scenes and jokes from it. So it sounds like that's what I should be getting out of it because I thought that the well you you just said who gives a shit about the plot but I thought the plot like was kind of bad and like it didn't really drive the movie for me and I felt like I need something like that just as a foundation for the movie to work. Um, so yeah, I ended up not finding the characters all that. I mean, the supporting characters I didn't find them that interesting besides like Wayne and Garth. Yeah, um, when I was thinking about this movie, I was just like. Like, I was questioning if, if, if it's even a movie at all or if it's just, like, a <laughs> collection of, like, sketches. Because, right. like, every, every scene, like, except for, like, one just has, like, a punchline to it. Yep. And each it's scene is, like, its a, own, like, contained yeah. joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's very frequently how these movies play out, right? You look at, like, when Adam Sandler was going on his big post-SNL run with Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and all that. Like, it was the same same structure as this, right? Like yeah. Although you, I thought those had a more concrete, like central plot. Right, to but it attach sucked. Everything to right. That plot was terrible. <laughs> and, and the worst part of those movies was whenever they spent any time on that stuff. <laughs> right. It was always like the, the interesting, or not the interesting stuff, but like the reason you were there and like, the good stuff was just like the dumb jokes and sketches mm -hmm. that populate the space between. The Blues Brothers the has a very similar uh, structure. Yeah. Where it's just like famous musician doesn't act and then there's like a punchline scene and yep. then they just like rotate between those two and this is like an oscillation for that for like an hour and a half. Right. And this movie is like very similar where it's like some some sort of like thrash metal or like early 90s song yep. joke scene <laughs> and then they just like oscillate between the two. And right. Like that's the Sometimes they happen at the same time. And yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, I... I think that that is the first impression of this movie a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see this movie until pretty later on in life. Like I somehow just was one of those movies that I missed until that was at least in my 20s. Um, but I still liked it. Like I don't think you need to be a young person to like get into this movie. Like I think it's still just funny and Mike Myers is like I think you, you look at like his Austin Powers characters and things like that and there's like an abrasiveness Austin Powers and like this kind of I don't know there's, there's something kind of caustic to that character that I don't see with Wayne like I think there's like a good heartedness to the Wayne character that comes yeah. across well right and that yeah definitely got that and, and I think it's easier to like get into this movie as a grown up because of that yeah I think they're both like very endearing yes. characters yes and distinct and yeah, they're certainly distinct, right? Yeah. And they, they, I think it's easy. You mean for, Wayne and Garth? Yeah, yeah, from one another. And it's easy to do like a, a Bill and Ted thing, where like Bill and Ted are the same dude, but the, <laughs> this, yeah. this movie it doesn't do that. Like they, they, they you're right, they draw uh, a, a, a distinction between 
the two of them, um, such that they have unique jokes in there. Like the joke that is written for Wayne cannot just be transported over to Garth yeah. quite so easily. Although right? I personally didn't really like Dana Carvey's performance. No? As Garth. Yeah, it, it felt overacted or like, you know, too much or trying too hard to me. Whereas Mike Myers, I felt like struck just the right balance of like silly but like realistic. It's, it's like kind of in the, yeah, yeah. he's kind of like, yeah, he seems like a real character. Yeah, well, and one day Carvey's like making that face the whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. that, that's, that's a big part of it, I think. Yeah. You're like, that's this permanent. I mean, Garth is definitely more cartoonish than, yes. than Wayne is. Right. Yeah, well, and, I think they took it too far for him. Yeah, well, and Wayne's clearly the lead, right? Like, he's the one that yeah. needs to be at least a little bit more human. It yeah. is Wayne's world. It is. It's his world, yeah. right? Yeah. His basement, his parents' <laughs> basement, anyway. Um, so he's, he's you know, the driving force of the. The narrative. Funnily enough, Garth is based on a real person, but uh, Wayne is not. <laughs> Dana Carvey said that he's based Garth on his brother. Really? Who's like kind of like a, a gearhead engineer and like kind of quiet and mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of dopey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder how his yeah. brother feels about that. Yeah. Poor guy. Because, right, I mean, there's a lot of like not flattering stuff. <laughs> with, with I mean, Garth. I'm sure a lot of it's exaggerated. But, I, yeah. Yes. Yes, I'm sure. But yeah. So I, I did not know that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I noticed watching this movie here is how much it is about small towns, right? And I, I saw so, because I, I come from a very small town, and I saw so many parallels between the way, especially in the early parts of this movie, the way that these lives are framed and the, the spaces and the people that these folks interact with that rang very true to me in terms of small town living. and. Yeah, I, I agreed with that too. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, you're from Maine. I, I yeah. don't know how many people live in your Maine town. Uh, I think, well, it's a twin city. I think there's like thirty-five thousand in like the area. Okay, which is big for yes. Maine. Yeah, because my hometown yeah. has like seven thousand people in it. Okay, give or yeah. take, it's very small. It's getting a village territory. Right. It's but for that, re it's the biggest town in that county. Yeah. Right. It's just a really big county. Like the town, the one town over, there's like eight hundred people. So, wow. yeah, like it's that kind of space. Um, and so for me, seeing stuff like these people that have no ambition beyond just like hanging out with their friends and going to these concerts and making their dumb show in their basement and like cycling through various retail food service jobs, I know tons of people that are just like that, right? Like I see exactly yeah. that behavior in people that I went to high school with, the people in my hometown, and I kind of get it. I kind of get the appeal of it. You're always running into people you know. Right, exactly. And like you have like, the, they, like they, they're just townies. And, but it's yeah. like this, it, it feels like an affectionate portrayal of these townies. Like they're oh, yeah, not saying, sure. look at these rubes. They're, because the downfall of these characters is when they move away from that, right? Yeah. And I think it would be really easy for this movie to be about you know, these dumb small town folk that are only are enamored by, you know, stupid, trivial bullshit in their lives. And I think the movie isn't doing that, to the movie's no. credit. So, I don't know, you, you said that you've had similar thoughts about small towns. In this yeah, I find, I, like, I found the movie to ring, like, very true for, like, kind of 90s, even, like, early 2000s, just, like, small town, like, hanging out culture, where yes. you kind of just, like, drive around, listen to music, and, like, you play sports in the street or, like, wherever, yep. and just, like, hang out in a friend's basement. And that's like largely what this movie is about. Where mm -hmm. I I'm no longer this age, but like I don't know if like young people just like hang out in a basement and like listen to music anymore. <laughs> like, is that a thing? Like, I feel be, so like disconnected now. Universal, right? It's like, but I feel like Twitch culture is like 
Yeah, yeah, we're all like getting like gaming culture. We're in our little pods. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. We would they need to split screen gaming. So yeah, that's true. We we need a young person to <laughs> to speak to this. I don't do, does anyone know any young people? Yeah, I do not. Millennials are just making memes now. <laughs> exactly, alone. That's the third. Not millennials. The, the the other generation. The next I don't one. know. But the it, younger one. The sequel. Even like the rock culture here is also like very nineties. Yeah, and that's definitely gone away. Like. I, you say that, but I mean, my, again, small town of about 7,000 people had a surprisingly robust punk scene. Wait, do, do metal bars exist? They said that they were going to a heavy metal bar, and I'm like, I need to find me one of these. Oh, I've, I've been to metal bars in the city. They Damn, exist. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, can, need, I need to look for these. Yeah, they, they're out there. Like, if they're anywhere, they're going to be here. Like, you can find any kind that's of bar. That's true. That's true. I never thought to look. But are they in towns like the one in this, in, in, in this movie? Mm, maybe, maybe not. not. Maybe not. Yeah, especially ones that are going to have a live act that's like selling plays yeah. out. There were a lot of bands when I was in high school. And yeah. Again, I wonder if if that exists anymore at all. I I, I mean I hope. But so, I, I've lived in a big city since I was twenty, no, nineteen now. So yeah, so you're pretty far removed from the culture at this point. Yeah, yeah. So I mean I don't know, yeah. but like in, in terms of when I was, you know, a youth living in my small town in the early two thousands, like, yeah, this seems pretty. Pretty accurate, pretty close to what was going on. So I don't know if it's changed that much in the last 15 years or however long. Yeah, the other thing that's like very 90s about this movie is that the, the major concern in the movie is selling out. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that was like a huge concern in the 90s. And yeah. in, in 90s music was like, can't sell out. That was like, that was the death knell yep. of, of music. Yeah. And um, that was like the, it felt like the overriding thrust of like grunge music was like, Screw selling out. We're gonna do this kind of music, <laughs> yeah. and of course they all eventually have so, to have to sell out or, or die, but yeah. or sell out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that the con that's such like an early '90s or even mid '90s like concern. Yes, that yeah, is kind of quaint, and, and it's the fundamental conflict in this movie. Right? Like that's the thing, and like yeah. when, once they do it, that's when life starts getting bad. Right, like, the first twenty minutes of this movie is showing how good their lives are and how they basically got everything that they want. Yeah. And then after that is when, when they get the money and it's you know, 5,000 bucks a piece. <laughs> Once they get the money is when things start to, to turn sideways for them. And Did they get that sideways? I mean, he gets to buy his dream guitar. Right, but that, I mean, that's when he, he starts losing the girl that he had before, right? He loses the show. Garth. That was his, yep, the, the friendship breaks up, like yeah, all the stuff that he but valued. He, but he fixes it all up. But he fixes it all up. And then he's got his guitar still. Right, exactly. Although, does he, right? Because the end of this movie does have that huge, like it ends two, three times. It's like fucking Return of the King. And, <laughs> and it's not crystal clear which one actually happens. We'll just accept that the happy ending happened. Maybe, yeah. It, I think the movie this is, is that not kind of clear. It, it ends on the happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. But then there's kind of like an SNL style send off where all the characters are just standing there. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, and that's for, like, thanks yeah. for coming out tonight. That's <laughs> yeah. like it. This yeah. was a great show. <laughs> yeah, so I think that I, I guess it's a really weird move, right? It's really strange for this movie to Not do that. Not the first comedy movie to do that move. Well, Blazing Saddles kind of did. Right? And uh, Clue does that too. Yeah. Clue true. had like five or six endings. It, I think. It, it, yeah, and. Yeah. In theaters, like it, it wasn't like they would have five or six that they just run at the same time. Like 
you would get this ending, and your guy that went to the other theater and saw it got this other ending. What? That's awesome. <laughs> movies need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Clue famously like bungled their release, and that yeah. was like one of the things that yeah. happened. And then the, the endings were all collected on the VHS when it was released later. Right. Right. Because yeah. then the actual board game clue it's randomized to yeah. kills the person, and <laughs> that's the experience they recreate in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so but there should be a function on the DVD where you like get a random ending, so you just like watch the movie and you don't know what one will happen. Dude, that sounds great. Like, movies don't do that. Right? Yeah. That, that sounds cool. I think it may very well may be unique to the Clue movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it didn't work because nobody's done it. Right. Well, they, nobody, they didn't tell anybody that it was going to happen. <laughs> and so people just had like very drastic, drastically different experiences and nobody knew for like a while. Yeah, because there's no internet at this point. They didn't go out and be like, yo, what about the ending of Clue? I can't believe... Right with you. You'd have to like read a review in a newspaper, uh, or like you'd have to like probably multiple. I mean, even the reviewers wouldn't know, right? Yeah, exactly. What did they screen for the press? (laughs) I don't don't know. Who knows? Is it random? (laughs) The different reviewers get different. The multiple endings on the recorded copy of Clue like is funny, and seeing them next to each other like adds to the comedy. Right. I think as it does in this movie. Yeah, maybe they should have just done that. Clue just like run all five whatever endings, one after the other. It works on the. VHS. And it works or, here. Or the recorded version. Yeah. yeah. Home video. Home video. Home video. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it works here. I think it's a yeah. funny gag to just like, right. just like have different endings and like kind of throw up your hands about. Right. Well, because they yeah. acknowledge, I think like, the problem with ending these SNL movies, right? Because the problem or is... Or SNL sketches where they like S- don't know how to end them. Yeah. The yeah. point isn't the ending. Like the point isn't the conceit. Again, the, the point is the joke. And so you <laughs> either end up with an ending that's really depressing relative to the rest of the movie, where it's like, nope, none of you guys get anything you want, you fucked up your lives. <laughs> or you end up with like an implausibly positive ending, which is what most SNL movies actually sure. go for. Does um, no middle ground exist? I well, mean, that's the Scooby-Doo ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. but I mean... It's just nonsense, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a writer. Uh, but someone could probably come up with a yeah. with an ending that is not either of those things. Um, but I think that's the problem that they likely encountered and just said, all right, let's do this crazy thing instead. And here we are. And it fits with the, like, breaking the fourth wall aspect yes. of the movie. Yes, which, which is pretty funny. I, I can't believe they maintain that the entire time, but, yeah. but they do. Um, this when everything is lost, he even loses loses his narratorship too. Like yeah. the camera, like he starts bitching at the camera, and the <laughs> and camera walks like like walks yeah. off, and then he like has like, to. I'm evolve. not dealing with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this isn't very interesting anymore. Tell more jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That You're was right. that was a good gag. So it's like super fourth wall. Yeah. Um, and it, again, it's kind of like how we interact with these SNL sketches, right? Because like it's they're supposed to be bite sized. It's something that you just take, and if it's funny, you you stick with it, and if it's not, you tune out. And like, as soon as this movie like starts to be about something other than the jokes, the narrator <laughs> literally that, walks that, away. That is something that keeps me from watching more SNL. Is I feel yeah. like literally every skit they do goes too long and kills the joke. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a careful balance to it. Yeah, I mean, did you see that here, where there's where their jokes are just like, okay, that's enough. Here, guys. no, but I just okay. feel like in SNL sketches they do that a lot. That yeah, that happens. And I think we like the culture filters out a lot of those, right? Because we remember the great ones, but we don't remember like yeah. the many, many not great ones. Yeah, it's yeah. an hour and a half show. There's, yeah, they're gonna fill some time. There's a lot of filler. And there's only two songs that, there are two or three songs that the guest is gonna do. So yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a reason they've started to lean more on like the special video content or whatever. That it's is an hour and a half long. Live. 
Yeah, it's an hour and a half. Yeah. So, so they, it's, they keep going after the second musical number? Yeah, there's always a sketch after that nobody watches. That's probably why I missed the papyrus one from Ryan Gosling. It's often the funniest sketch because they let them just like, they just like go off. fill it with whatever yeah. weird thing yeah. they have left over and it ends up being really funny. Yeah, it came up on YouTube after. I'm like, I watched that episode. Yeah. It's like the one episode of SNL I've watched in the last <laughs> year and I missed the best sketch in it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good sketch. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's really kind of amazing that they managed to put out an episode every week. <laughs> it's an hour and a half of content, and they have to learn it all and write it all and line up all the acts. So yeah, it's it's kind of extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so music is obviously really important to this movie, yes. and I think the music that they use actually works really well. Most famously, they use Bohemian Queen's Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah, uh, which caused a resurgence in interest in Queen because. Um, Apparently, Freddie Mercury had died just a few months before they oh. finished the movie, mm -hmm. although he had given approval to their usage of it. Okay. And uh, apparently, the Bohemian Rhapsody went back to number two on the Billboard charts, even though it had been out for years. Really? Yeah. It, even I mean, that came out in the 70s, right? That song? This is a 1992 movie? Yeah. So probably 15 or 20 years? Yeah. Yeah. It's a while. Well, um, it's a staple since then, I guess. Yeah, no kidding. Everybody knows that song. Yeah, and everybody likes it except you, right, Charles? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of it, but I seem to be okay. the only one. Literally, you literally the yeah, only person so. I've ever met. I guess so. Like I think song. part of the reason the song is popular, other than it's Queen, part yeah. of the reason the movie, this song is popular, is because of this movie and people acting. I'm sure many people heard it for the first time when they watched Wayne's World. Yeah, yeah. Like teenagers at the time probably weren't like big on Queen. Yeah, right. Is there a particular reason they? put this song in that part, or is it just they liked the song? Because it's awesome? Because normal people like this song. <laughs> Mike Myers wanted it. Uh, they had. I guess they did a take with the Guns N' Roses song. Which one? Probably Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, okay. This is better. The Wikipedia article says which song it is, but okay. it's a Guns N' Roses song. Yeah, yeah. This is, I like Guns N' Roses. I like, I like Queen. Yeah. But yeah, this I is... I mean, it's such a theatrical song that it like... Exactly. It works when you're right. well, and it has quasi like, acting it out. Yeah, yeah, and it has like these ebbs and flows where, like, if they need to stop and look at the guitar, they can like go do that and then come back. There's multiple right. sketches. Yes, in within the, the song. Yeah, where they stop the music and like yeah. do the sketch or like yeah. fade it out a little bit and then bring it back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was definitely expecting the the drunk guy that they pick up to to vomit in the car at some point where or at some point in the night because yeah, they implied that that guy well, was part of the movie. joke that he doesn't right. vomit yeah, yeah I know I, I, yeah. I, I get that but, but he, do, he does do like a pump take when like at one moment in the song yes yeah, yeah and I was like okay here it is yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it doesn't happen um, so that, that caught me off guard but yeah I think it's got to be one of the more famous musical moments in modern movies period right like many people yeah. point to it um, and I think with good reason it works really well yeah yeah uh, there's also the songs that Tia Carrera performs. Yes. And she actually sang them, which yes. is incredible. Yeah, I didn't realize that until they credited her at the end. I'm like, wow. Because, yeah. I mean, I didn't expect like the actress to be able to perform that, I guess. No. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of Tia Carrera lately, but uh, maybe to, too bad, because she, she seems have incredibly a talented. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She seemed to have a moment in the early 90s, because I recognized her from True Lies. She was a villain in that. That's right. That's one of yeah. my favorite action movies. <laughs> the movie's yeah. great. Yeah. And she reappears in uh, Wayne's World 2. Uh, okay. But, 
Yeah, I don't I'm, I don't feel like I've seen a lot of her lately. <laughs> no, no, yeah. definitely. She, but. I, I looked her up actually. She has a ton of credits, but I think they might be like voice acting and minor roles and that kind of thing. Okay, gotcha. I mean, there, voice acting is a good gig if you can get it. So, you know, more power to her. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame her. Um, um, but she's great in this film. Yeah. She like crushes it. Actually, yeah. uh, she's like very believable as a front man for this band. Yeah. And, like the fact that she's singing the songs she alone really is wails. like insane. Yeah. <laughs> she really wails. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like her bit, the the Cantonese bit when they're on the roof. Yeah. Cracks me up every time. That like you have Mike Myers doing Cantonese and that what, he learned. what sounds to us like uh, plausible Cantonese. I'm sure it isn't actually. But yeah, and he learned it yeah, from the tape. I didn't recognize anything that Cantonese in there. Maybe a tiny okay. bit, but okay, I'm sure. I, I don't really know Cantonese, but I know what it sounds like. He could yeah. be trying to like, like they could have done it phonetically, and he could just be exaggerating it. But then yeah. it falls apart because it's the phonetics are so specific. Is my understanding of yeah? Well, it, yeah. I love that the yeah. the conversation becomes like more and more complicated as it goes along. I, I just love yeah. that he just yeah. kind of stops and lets the subtitles like say. He's like, I'm not going to say all of this. <laughs> that was my favorite while. part. Yeah. yeah, again, breaking the fourth wall, right? Like, there's so many weird metatextual moments like that. But I, I like yeah, that joke great. a lot. That one cracked me. And up. also, like up until that point, they'd been like very down on his girlfriend to the point where they were like. It was like a little borderline, like kind of yep. jokes that they were making about her. But then they, the conversation in what, Cantonese what is like jokes. You mean? Well, just that they're like, look at this crazy girl. She's yeah, so crazy. She's she like won't obsessed. Leave me alone because of how crazy she is. Oh, that. Oh, the yeah. ex-girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with the ex-girlfriend. They keep using the psycho theme. Yeah, the the yeah exactly. But then in the in the Cantonese section, they actually like kind of pity her and yeah. like say that like these sort of like underlying reasons that someone might do the things that right. she's doing. Right, they like contextualize her which, behavior. Which is funny yes. and like yeah. And, yeah. and like kind of like redeems like what they did earlier. Exactly, the movie. yeah. yeah. That was, that's Lara Flynn Boyle that plays Stacy, I think is her name. Yes. The ex. Yeah. Um, and this must she have been. She looks a lot like Winona Ryder. Yeah, I see it. They're both having yeah. like a thinner features. Um, but this must have been right after Twin Peaks. She probably did this during Twin Peaks. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, and it, so it's weird to see her like not in that context. <laughs> my, my favorite moment with Stacey is when he's he's approaching Tia Carrera yeah. for kind of for the first time and she like shows up to the side <laughs> and like he just makes a face or he's like kind of disgusted. He's like <laughs> yeah. no, but, like he keeps moving. He keeps walking. Yeah. But he's he's not walking though, he's on like a dolly of some yeah, sort and they're like, like driving gliding. him, which yeah. is pretty also, funny. He, he's got the uh, yeah. inside man. Glide right. The same yes. Way. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. And I think it's I don't know an interesting choice that they never bother explaining why he is so hostile to her, right? Like that's they just say like she's crazy and that's it. They don't like explain why they broke up. Yeah, because she's not anything. a character from SNL. No, it's like a totally new thing. Right. And I, I and they like almost intentionally avoid any explanation <laughs> as to how the relationship got to this point. It's just taken as a matter of fact that yes. He really doesn't like this girl for some reason, and like that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, this movie was directed by a woman. Um, this who is named uh, Penelope Zephyrus, and I always have a trouble pronouncing her last name. But she also directed uh, the Decline of Western Civilization, which is a famous you know music documentaries. First ones about there's two of them. First one about punk, second one about metal. Um, <laughs> and she characterized this movie as her her sellout movie. <laughs> she, did, she did it for the money, which is incredibly ironic <laughs> because she got famous as a music film director, sells out to make 
a studio movie about selling out about music, and she never wants to talk about it. <laughs> and like that is super complicated. And I think it kind of colors this movie a little bit, like knowing knowing that. Yeah, and it was it, a late career movie for her. She was yeah. like 45 when she shot it. Yeah, relatively, yeah. And she, to her, it was just a paycheck, apparently, <laughs> like, mm. that she just showed up. And it's like, this is, this is something I'm doing for the money because they don't want to pay me to make part three or whatever. Apparently, she had a hard time with Mike Myers, too. Like, the two of them really? clashed, like, a lot, according to a few of the articles I read. Huh. He, there's it. stories about him in general, right? Yeah, he's always been known as a prima donna, but, I mean... <laughs> That's the story of kind of everybody in Hollywood, so right, well, you, like you got a grain of salt that and yeah, he's like good at what he did. He has multiple like like smash box office hits, like giant movies, right, and then he didn't <laughs> and then he did it, yeah, because yeah. he has at least three huge franchises, right he, he has awesome powers Shrek, okay. Wayne's world and Wayne's world, yeah, yeah, like that's a lot for any individual. It's incredible, yeah. And they're to all, have one is incredible. To have three yeah. is astounding. Right. Well, and there are three that he had a lot of creative input on. Yes. Or like he essentially created all those characters. Yes. And took the lead. I don't know if he had any role in writing, but he probably did. And Austin Powers for sure he did. And Wayne's World, he's credited as the writer. Right. Shrek was a pre-existing wow. document, well, but I'm was. sure he had. Yeah, it was a book. I didn't know that. It was a kid's book, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure he like <laughs> added a lot to it because part of his charm is his ability to riff from his SNL days. Right. So yeah. Well, and I, he came up with the Shrek voice. Like that was him. Yeah. And that's like so much of the characters that. And he's remembered as yeah. one of like the great SNL actors. So. Right. Right. We're so. talking about him like he's dead, but he's not dead. He's alive. Well, he's been dead since uh, Love the Guru. Love Guru, Love which Guru. like killed his career essentially. <laughs> I, I, there's, I feel like there's got to be more to that oh, story, geez. right? Because like, how could I mean, it's a bad movie, right? But people make bad movies all the time. Like, how could that one bad movie kill this guy who can prop up three franchises? Right? Like, I feel that there's more going on there. There's, there must be. It just doesn't Did make any sense. Did he kill his will? Comedy's yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, sure. You gotta like. Yeah. Like Dana Carvey didn't do great after this. Yeah. Film like. He did the, the disguise, master of disguise, right? Was that it? Was him? Yeah. yeah. And I saw it because I was a kid and I didn't know any better. But even as a kid, I don't think I liked it that much. <laughs> he did some stand up, which is like kind of funny. I bet it's really funny if you're like a boomer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he did one very recently, actually. Oh, really? And that was on Netflix. So. Netflix has been cleaning up with stand-up specials. Like, it I seems think like there's another I one. I think it's really cheap How to shoot How has Adam Sandler's them? career survived so many bad movies? People keep paying for him. Bankable. Why? Because he I shoots him for like five grand with his own production, or not five grand, but very, <laughs> like I bet all of them are shot on less than $5 million budgets. And yeah. he has his own production company, so he does all the shooting. He shoots in Massachusetts because he lives there. And I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And he knows like all these people from SNL, so he can just pull a bunch of people that everybody likes. Yeah, so. and he's friends with Paul Thomas Anderson, so every once in a while he can pull him in too. Yeah, I mean he's friends what? with great actors. Like yeah, like they're buddies. Like they communicate on a regular basis. That's why he's in Punch Drunk Love. Okay. Steve right. Buscemi's in like all of his films. Mm -hmm. Chris Rock is in a time. Kevin James. Like these are all like super bangable yeah. names. So. Yeah, like yeah. Chris Rock yeah. is in the most recent Netflix one, right? The one that like just came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's a Chris Rock movie. He also. got some like crazy deal with Netflix. It was yeah, like a ten film deal or something for like 
tons of cash. Yeah, well, and yeah. Netflix claims that they those movies, like those Adam Sandler movies, original to Netflix, are consistently the, some of their most popular. Like, like people are watching them. And, Dear God. Yeah, like Which so bonkers. It, yes, it is. So that's why. Like, you, you, if the question is why is he keep getting work, it's because people, because he still makes people a ton of money when he works, um, and he's a worker. Like he just mm -hmm. he's consistently putting out new material. Um, and the other thing about, is he can act. Like he, when he wants to be a good actor, like Punch Drunk Love, obviously, but also Funny People is a good movie that people. Have, Wedding Singers. Wedding great. Singers, legitimately good. Yep. Like and um, what's the other one that he did? Uh, Meyerowitz stories, the one that just came out on Netflix, like the the real movie that he did for Netflix, also very good. He did a real movie, damn. Yeah, um, and so, yeah, he's kind of amazing. Um, I wish he used his powers for good more often. <laughs> he's the everybody loves Raymond yeah. effect here, right? Well, I mean, yeah, because uh, Ray Romano is also actually a good actor, right? Like, and he could be funny, and everybody involved in the show could be funny. Yeah, they and often, choose not to be <laughs> on purpose. He was good in the Big Sick. Yes, yeah. that's what I was thinking. He was exactly excellent in The Big Sick. He's so funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, famously the first episode starts like Wayne's World does, where they, they just come out to the camera and they say, like, hi, my name's Ray, and, like, my brother lives next door, and my parents live in the neighborhood, <laughs> and, and then they just, like, get on with the show. Wow. And that seems unnecessary for that show, right? Like, you can establish all that stuff immediately without... I, it might be a good way to start comedy, because it's just, wow, like, here's maybe. the context that you need... That's it. No, uh, and now moving on. Like right. we, we don't I mean, need, we don't need to say like, oh, my brother is here. Yeah. And, you know, like, and then, like your brother walks in. There's so like, many bad ways. I mean, if yeah. your options are stare at the camera and explain <laughs> the premise or like that kind of stilted dialogue, staring at the camera is probably better. Like if your goal is yeah. just like pure comedy, like why not do that? Right? Yeah. Because then you can just go like, okay, now joke, 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 joke. Are right. we sure that's the goal if everybody loves Raymond? But, well, <laughs> it, it may not be. Yes, it may not be. I mean, the goal is clearly just to. Make money, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah talk cool. about selling out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Peter Boyle was in Young, Young Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Yeah. And was really funny in Young Frankenstein. Uh, Brad Garrett is yeah. a funny comedian. Yes. Not funny at all. In <laughs> Everybody loves him. Uh, back to Wayne's World. To Wayne's World, yeah. We have, we have the, the notion of selling out is like a funny one. Yeah. And like it's a very 90s concern. Or, and I don't feel like anybody has that concern anymore. No, they want to sell it out. It comes That's up a lot yeah. in music still, though, I feel like, especially in the metal world. Because, like, people usually well, like John the metal, metal retains this, like, rock ethos of, like, not it's selling out. fucking 50-year-olds yeah. that listen to yeah. metal stuff. Well, no, I mean, metalheads are young, too. But, like, usually you get into a band because they have their own unique style and right. sound to them. But when they sell out, they have a more mainstream sound, and so people accuse them of selling out because they sound more generic and they lose the thing that made them unique. Don't, don't you think that's a, a factor of like, well, you can make more money, so you can get like more expensive producers, and more expensive producers produce the same people, and so you and end up the sound homogenizes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But they also get more yes. notes, right? Like you're, you're gonna you're gonna get a studio head coming in and saying like, we need a three minute single. Right, we need something that we can put on the radio. Yeah, um, right. actually, I remember this documentary that I saw in college, and I've searched high and low for this documentary. I have no idea what it's called. I've looked for it on a number of occasions. I even emailed my old professor and try and find out like what the movie is called. They didn't respond, unfortunately. So, <laughs> if if, uh, if listeners see. know like what what the movie is, um, it was a documentary, and it was a guy who 
just had like a camcorder in the mid, maybe like 96, 95. Okay. And he worked for like a Random House style publishing company where you could like do the mail order catalog thing where you would like either get on a subscription or you would pay like $30 and they would send you like 30 CDs or something. Sure. And that, that was sort of like the corporatization of music that really didn't hit the gas until like the late 90s, but it was like moving towards that. And he, the the guy who directed and was like kind of the only person in the film, um, he was in like a metal band before he joined this. And the, the documentary starts with like his last show and then it's just his experience in the corporate music world. And he just like always had a camcorder on him. Wow. He records like all these corporate meetings that he's in <laughs> and like he goes to like album signings with like Aerosmith and he's like trying to ask people about like you know, is it good that music is being sold this way and, like, what's happening to music because of this? Uh, and I think they even... He even, like, cuts in clips of, like, early interviews with, like, Insane Clown Posse where they're, like... Because they, they had their own, like, record label that they were releasing albums on. And then they, they eventually got signed to, like, a big label when they got popular. Uh-huh. And he he found this, like, interview with them where they're just like, we'll never sell out. Like, <laughs> like screw that. And then, like, one album later, they had, like... they had, like, let's sell for us a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Everybody's got a price. Yeah. So, fascinating documentary. And it was, like, uh, a really great time capsule of, like, what it was like working music in, like, the mid, early to mid-90s. Sure. Um, no idea what it's called. Looked for it many times. Well, I'll watch it if, if you yeah. track it down. So if anybody else has heard of it. I have no it. idea what that is. Right in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the only time that selling out noticeably bothered me because the music changes with Modest Mouse. Like I like yeah. Modest Mouse a lot, and I like, started getting into them like, right before um, the, the Float On and like their big songs came out and like there's a very noticeable difference to me between like the weird crazy shit they were doing earlier and like the more palatable music that they were making later on um and so i think that's the only time it bothered me blink 22 got me i was a fan of like their early albums and then Uh their big album that hit really hard in like 2000 or 2001 take off your pants and no, that was an Enema of the State. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. I was really disliked that at the time. Oh, man, that's a great album. You're not yeah, that, I mean, that might be the only one I know. Yeah. That, yeah, a, I like the albums before that. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, was on, what was on the radio. Yeah. Well, at the time, like, it really bothered me. That, okay. Because their, their song, their music, like, very noticeably changed yeah. in how it sounded. Sure. Whereas they became a lot more like all the other pop punk bands that were really popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of like set that, like they blazed that trail in in, in a larger sense. Well, but yeah, it really bothered me at the time. Green Day did, I think, first, right? Like they were, they were following in Green Day's footsteps in a lot of I ways. Think Green Day's a little different though, because they were like, they didn't want to be known as a punk band and they, they made a very deliberate choice to like stop that sound. So I, I think they're a little different. Okay, like, maybe. That was like a, I think that was a much more deliberate choice on the part of Green Day. It's still like a selling out for sure. Yeah. But from what I've read about like what their intentions were, it was like a very, that was a choice that they made. So you're saying they never bought in? So they can't sell out. No, like I don't they know. Were, they were I don't always know. corporate. I mean, it's still it's still selling out, but it yeah. was it was a deliberate choice to do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I, I raised 
modest mouse because I remember being annoyed that they sounded different, not that they sold out, right? And I think that there's this yeah. ethos where just the act of selling out, never mind what you do afterwards, is a sin. And uh, that, I usually think of it with respect to how the sound changes because you sold it. Right, and I think that that may be how we look at it now in 2018, but during the Wayne's World era, it was this, like, the attempt alone is, okay. is the transgression. I think, I think there was an ethos to it, and this is in, like, High Fidelity. Um, yeah, fuck that movie, though. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> but, the, like, the major thing is that, like, I, like, I was aware of... Blink-182, and then suddenly everybody else is like, hey, have you heard of this band Blink-182? And it's <laughs> like, yeah, I've been listening to it for years. Like, yeah, well, it's, it's, that's just tipsters in the 90s. Yeah, right? it's, it's the, like the, the, the same thing. It's the, like, yeah. it's the pitchfork ethos, yeah. right? Of like, yeah. here's the weirdest thing you could find. And it's not a celebration of music. It's more of like a, a hoarding of, of music. Well, it's a yeah. hoarding of music, and it's yeah. drawing your identity from it, right? Yes. So this is the thing that yeah. only I have. And if that's who you are, and then everybody else has it too, who are you? Yeah. Right? And that is a troubling way to consume and media. It's actually kind of refreshing that that has really gone away. Yeah, yeah, well, because it's become so ubiquitous, right? Like yeah. everybody has access to everything immediately. It's hard. It's so much harder to find your niche thing. And I feel like now when people ask me like what kind of music I'm into, I'm always like, like, what are you asking? Like <laughs> that's such a ridiculous question. Like everybody listens to everything. Yeah, I just no. I think that's true. People have their genres. Yeah, that styles. is true. But I think there's more people that really do. Like because you have access to everything, and because you are, or it's easier to be exposed to everything. Right? Yeah. Whereas, like, w when I was in high school and even in middle school, like, I'm very much identified with like punk rock and like yeah. some indie rock. It, that was like who I was. I and think I, getting away from that, I think, has yeah, been very healthy. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that is healthy, but I think yeah. you still see it in country music. I think there's a lot of people that like exclusively listen to country. Well, because everybody well, shits well, on country because well, it sucks so much. Right, and so they get to say <laughs> about it, and it becomes, like, the only thing yeah. um, that... But then that's, like, the greatest, like, self-own, right? Because then you're, like, <laughs> you're listening to, like, the worst music ever. Like, there's, like, 2% of country that's, like, fine oh, and good. No, and, no, like, no. I, yeah. I disagree with that. Yeah. Like, I think that there's plenty of good country music out there. I think that, like any genre, there's going to be stuff that sounds identical when it's played on the radio as to everything else. I mean, but, it's a genre. That's right, exactly, exactly. But there's plenty of high-quality country music out there, both being made today and, historically speaking. And if you're not into it, that's fine. You don't be into it. But to just say it's the bad music, I think is... Mm. A, I think it's a little classist, because it is the music that the country folk listen to. And <laughs> B, I think it's just untrue. I think that there's plenty of like really good country music out there that people should listen to. And enjoy. Yeah. Um, Alice Cooper makes a great appearance in this movie. Yes, with fun facts about Milwaukee. That was a great scene. Yeah. I think it's one of my favorite scenes of the movie, yeah. actually. They try and I talk agree. to him about music, and he's like, has actually, all these facts about Milwaukee. Yes. <laughs> he just ignores their questions. And, yeah. and so, like, you, you develop, like, this headcanon for Alice Cooper about like does he do this <laughs> does he do this for every town like <laughs> as he tours like the country is he like and here's fun facts about you know Des Moines or whatever yeah. <laughs> like does he Some know this stuff or is he only really obsessed with Milwaukee yeah. <laughs> does he like exclusively know a lot about this city uh, for some reason, I I don't know. Wait, real quick, what was the brewery that they went to? I felt like that was a reference that I didn't get. Is that whole I had to ask. I, I knew it was a reference to Laverne a, and Shirley. A, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know the show off the top of my oh, head, but okay. I had to ask 
and yeah, it yeah, was, that, it was, that is Laverne and Shirley. Which okay. It's like the opening credits of the show, okay. and they're like reenacting. Yeah, it. it's a sitcom from that era or a little okay. earlier, but yeah, that's it's about two women living together in the city and trying to make it. Um, Who work at a brewery? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe I, I haven't seen enough. Okay, Laverne and Shirley. I'll look it up. <laughs> you can go watch it. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Um, but yeah, I like the, the Alice Cooper bit a lot. Um, the yeah, bit about Alice is like out of character and speaking in a very normal voice. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's not though. It's like the real Alice because like if you heard like interviews with him, he's like kind oh, yeah. of a dork. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's not yeah. his stage persona. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It, it, I think he's. A that's radio. the joke, right? It's the yeah, opposite of, of it. I think he's a radio DJ now. Like he just has an Alice Cooper show. He's a born again Christian too. So like, <laughs> oh, that's a, right. Yeah. A lot of stuff. He used to be like pretty wild. Apparently, where like. Yeah. He would like at the end of his shows. He would always like fake kill himself. Yeah, and he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> you got to compete with Ozzy somehow. That's how you do it. Yeah, apparently it was like incredibly theatrical, where they like guillotine him, or he would like get crucified, or like oh. yeah, yeah. That, that's probably not a Christian act. <laughs> yeah, crucify <laughs> yourself on stage for metal. Yeah, so he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> but he still like tours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so good for him. He must be a old. He I'm looks sh- old in this. Looks, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rock, was, rock definitely like ages you. Yeah, yeah. this movie's uh, almost thirty years old now. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's true that Milwaukee did have three socialist mayors. That is, he is correct <laughs> about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good. That was the the sewer socialists were based in Milwaukee, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that was the reason guys. we all have like infrastructure. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that part was great. There's lots of just like little bits here. I like I like Robert Lowe in this. I was wondering, oh, is his yeah. Parks and Rec character a reference to that character, or is it like a meta Rob Lowe thing that he's doing? This is apparently like one of the first times he like did comedic stuff. Yeah, and yeah. then it turns okay, out because really I know he said literally in this one the same way he says it in Parks oh, and Rec. So I'm wondering that. if that's a Rob Lowe thing or if it's a reference to this. <laughs> You're movie. right. Though. Well, he's always kind of like a corporate like wiener, yeah. like of <laughs> yeah, and. And again, that was like another concern of like '90s comedies. There was always some like evil business guy. Yeah, in so many of these SNL movies, specifically, like Adam Sandler went to that high-waisted suit. Right, right. That are that have too much money and are trying to steal your girl. That is always, always. Yeah, even the Chris Farley who has a short appearance in this movie, like his movies were very similar too. Yeah, that's. I think Tommy Boy makes that move. Yeah, and so is Black Sheep. And Black Sheep. Yeah, yeah, which are you know the same movie, but. Um, so yeah, but I, I liked him a lot here. I think that Rob Lowe is funny. I like him in general. Uh, he was good in Parks and Rec, obviously, and I think there might be goodwill carrying over from that. But he was when, effective. When they go into his apartment and they're like blown away by how nice it was, <laughs> yeah. that like really cracked me up because <laughs> yeah. it's like it looks like a the '90s decor. Yeah, right. Is well, that like a teal and purple couch, which is the most <laughs> '90s possible thing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they. It, it looks like one of those like model apartments, yes. the ones that they like sell the other like condos. Which it might of. be. Right? I'm sure it is. Yeah. <laughs> like for all we know, they just said like we need your model apartment for a yeah. day. But it was so funny, like how yeah. blown away that they are <laughs> by it. They're just like, whoa. I mean, it's still a super nice apartment. Yeah, yeah. probably in style at the time. Yeah, right in the middle of Chicago. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty expensive. Um, and I like that he's driving around in an actual Cadillac. Right, it's like, a, is a Pontiac GTO. It looks like a Cadillac. Okay, you know more about yeah. cars than I do, but. It looked like a very stereotypical, like, rich dude car. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Um, and it also carries a, can, or starts the tradition of SNL villains later appearing in The West Wing, because <laughs> Bradley Whitford was the bad guy in Billy Madison and is the lead in The West Wing, oh. and then Rob Lowe as well. 
So that's the yeah. He's only on like the first couple seasons, right? But Rob Lowe, he lasts like three or four seasons, and then he decides he wants to go make a name for himself in movies, and that didn't didn't pan out. He, he asked he for tries a, to... a lot of money, apparently, right. too, and he, they were like. Never no, mind. thanks. Yeah, it, he, he, tried, <laughs> they tried to, he tried to pull a George Clooney, and it didn't go as well for him as a tip for Clooney. No. Damn. Yeah. He, he got back to it later. Yeah, though. he's doing he's, fine. He's fine. He ended up okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, any, uh, any closing thoughts on, on Wayne's World? Uh, we generally like it. My favorite joke might have been the Delaware one. Yes. That, that, got, <laughs> that, me, that got me real good. Yeah. <laughs> that whole sequence is pretty funny, but, yeah, you're right. That is a really good joke. Um, I, I think this movie's like eminently watchable. Oh yeah. It's like 85 minutes. Goes like that. Everything like there's a joke in every single scene. Yeah. It's a good and TV movie cuz you can come in at any point mm-hmm. and uh, like be exactly up to speed on what's going on. I like it's, I like their conversation about the guitar. It felt very realistic cuz like it was it was like real lingo about yeah. the guitar and stuff and they yeah. talked about um, liking that model because it was before like the company got bought by like a bigger company, right? Which is so, what the a concern of selling about, out, the selling out theme and yeah. all that, right? Um, and yeah. They talked about like filing down the the nut and reducing the buzz on the low E string, and yep. like which my is low E string thing. always buzzes, and I hate that, and I don't know how to get rid of it. Now so you do. I got to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That scene also right after is followed by Garth playing the drum set, which Dana yeah. Carvey actually played. Wow. Really? Yes. I did not know that. It doesn't look like it because they don't solo. show uh, his hands for a lot of it, but he actually did that. That's that's cool. I did not know that. Um, and then real quick, the, the scene where they're talking directly about selling out. But then there's all yeah. the like brands in so it. Yes, it yes. Opens up I, the, for, I forgot. I want to bring that up too because oh that cracked God. me up. That, that really scene good. is so funny. Yeah. 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 Well, and he's like <laughs> head to toe in Reebok gear. Yes. yes. Yeah. Just like out of nowhere, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. in it. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't wearing that uh, uh, shot before. Yeah. Yeah. And then how he like dips into the bag of Doritos. Yeah. Like just this really exaggerated motion to like pull a chip. And out. the Pepsi, where he's like, and the taste is the taste of a new generation. <laughs> he drinks. It's so funny. Right. Well, and so many other sitcoms and movies have gone, especially sitcoms, have gone back to that well, where like they have, they they deal with their product placement by like lampshading it and saying like look at here's our product placement yeah. and it still feels like this is just the best version of that joke over and over again yeah yeah I, I, yeah so yes I remember that one as well um, the other joke that I I want to see the movie where the lead character is the Ed O'Neill guy that's talking about like who he needs to kill the the at the diner oh. <laughs> and, he has, and he has these asides about like how he has to go like when you when a soldier kills somebody it's it's well the honor. guy had been fired and right. he's like he's like you know what it likes you know what it, you just want to kill him right he's like I'm gonna file agreements with the union such, <laughs> such a great punchline yeah because you think the guy's gonna be on board with it yeah it's like oh, what yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I want to see the movie where about the the Ed O'Neill character. It's there. kind of the same character that is in Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. The it's which is also a chef. Yeah. 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 The I forget the actor's name, but yes, you're correct. Yeah. H. John Benjamin plays the like can that he talks to. But, oh really? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Man, H. John Benjamin is is great. Yes, he, he is really great. is. He's talented. Yeah, but anyway, um, I think this movie's a blast. Like, I, it's fun to watch every time. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, like, it, it's stuff that it, the stuff it's saying about selling out and corporatization is like correct and obvious, and that's okay. Um, and yeah, I like it. This is it, just a fun movie, easy to come back to. Yeah, so good pick. 
Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, nice <laughs> pick. Nice. nice. There it is. There it is. Um, we will be back uh, for uh, things we've seen, so stay tuned. And we're back with things we've seen. And this week, we and the rest of the world all saw Avengers Infinity War. Um, so, I mean, to talk about it, we kind of have to go into spoilers, so I'm going to warn you about that just in case you haven't seen it yet. You're the one person. Yeah. I mean, I think most people that want to see it will have seen it by the time we post this. But just in case, yeah. we're going to be talking about, we're going to list everyone who dies. Yeah. <laughs> just to make we're sure. We're just going to list it out and then One by one. one. <laughs> we're going to name them all. No, uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, but yeah, we did all see Infinity War. So this is apparently, they haven't certified it yet, but close to the biggest opening of all time. No, it is. This it is, is, is the certified? biggest domestic opening, at least. Okay, I maybe that's, that's what, what I, I heard by the afternoon that they weren't sure, because oh, they were okay. still like counting the receipts. Well, whatever. But it's we'll know be. this, it's this week. Be. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> until the next one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's starting to get to the point where the biggest opening of any given weekend is just whatever the most recent Disney movie is. Right, like, yeah, because <laughs> it's either the Marvel movie or it's Star Wars. Yeah, and that seems to be the the formula. Like, yeah. I, I don't think Both so. Which, yeah, Disney well, properties. I feel like the yeah. Star Wars movies, like they kind of drop in viewership as the trilogy goes along, but that's just like kind of natural to the flow. Last Jedi beat out Force Awakens. Did it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just that it, Disney owns everything at this point. Is what it feels like. Um, anyway, what do, we th what do we think about Infinity War? I thought it was surprisingly good. Um, I did not like the previous Avengers movies. I think that they're a mess. Any of them? I the, didn't, most people liked the first one. No, I didn't like either. I okay. think that they're a total mess. They make no sense. <laughs> this one is also a bit of a mess, but I feel like it. the through line is a little more sensible in this movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like it makes... I feel like the, the structure, for whatever reason, like worked better in this film. Maybe just because like there's like a cycle to this movie where it's like Thanos gets a gem and then like uses it, uses it, and then something, <laughs> and then Thanos gets a new gem and then uses, uses it. it again. Yeah, yep. yep. So I think that through line is fairly easy to follow, even like if it's like yeah. random heroes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like random heroes like trying to stop him from doing that. <clears throat> And they coalesce yeah. in a specific group, so it becomes easy to follow their stories yeah. as well. Yeah. I think he's also a good, like, bad guy versus, like, Ultron, where, like, it wasn't clear the limits of, like, Ultron's power. Right. Well, that's not even... really my problem with villains. My problem with villains is that they're just not interesting, right? Ultron is like he's a robot and he wants to kill everyone. Because people suck, I guess. Yeah, yeah like, that felt like very bland. Whereas, like, the... Yeah. No, Thanos is the same, right? Like, that is a better... He, the performance is better. Yeah. And that helps. And, yeah. like, they, they make motions toward, like, a larger philosophy and psychology. But it's really just, like, he wants to kill people because reasons. No. Right, but he has a reason, which I find more interesting than the typical bad guy who's just like, I want to take over the universe or something like that. I, like for right. me, as I saw this movie, it's currently Monday, I saw this movie on Saturday afternoon and it has since, it has diminished in my memory over that time. Like I got to the point where I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Like when I left, I was like, that was pretty good and I have some problems with it. And at this point, like I have problems with it and parts of it were pretty good. 
Right, like that's kind of where I'm at. Interesting. With, I feel like we're in opposite places where, yeah. where we should be. Yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm usually like pretty down on Marvel movies, although yes. I like Thor, the Dark like World. The, or not the Dark World, the, uh, the, Ragnarok. the Ragnarok. Yeah, I, yeah, Ragnarok is way, way better than this movie, and I think Black Panther is way, way better than this movie. And I think I would agree with that. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, so if we look at that kind of, the progression of recent Marvel movies, Infinity War is a step backwards for me. Like, it, it is not improving upon and not doing well with those movies. That's more speaking well. to how good those movies were, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's a little it, unfair to, to give it that expectation. What, what did you think, Charles? Did you, did you like it? I, I think I am on the exact same trajectory as you, actually, because yeah. I went in, I didn't really like the first two Avengers movies. Like, I enjoyed the first one, but I liked it less the more I thought about it, and I didn't really like Ultron that much. And so I went in this one expecting... Um, to feel similarly, or fearing that I would feel similarly to the previous Avengers movies. Um, from what I had heard about Thanos, um, I thought he'd be a very one-dimensional villain, uh, kind of like Steppenwolf from Justice League, uh, who is the same character, but yes. uh, is what I described <laughs> earlier about he's just pursuing power without any ulterior motive or reason to it. He just wants to collect the MacGuffins and do the thing, right? Uh, whereas Thanos has more of a backstory, he's more fleshed out, uh, and he does have a real reason for doing his things. You don't seem convinced by Wilson, but I felt like it's more interesting that he at least has a reason for his actions beyond just a greed of power. Um, my, know, I guess my problem isn't so much that he doesn't have a reason, because they do. They put forward some kind of reason, right? Like he wants to put balance into the universe by killing everybody. There's a research resource shortage. That that doesn't make sense it even makes no sense. numbers wise. It makes but, no sense at yeah. all. Like if he has yeah. the power to do anything, can he just make more resources forever? Right? Can he create situations well, where maybe the gauntlet can't do that? Or maybe if it doesn't so, seem to create anything material. Okay, if we can just do the math here. Let's say the the population of the universe takes ten time units to consume all the resources, right? Right. If we cut the population in half, it should take twenty time units. Yes. To consume but all there's the half as many people. It, which doesn't matter in an infinite universe, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like or, the, yeah. Like there's so many problems. But, but the issue whatever, is, that's fine. That movie, gives people more time to figure out how to reverse entropy. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. The, yeah. the issue that I have is that the movie, I have many issues, but one of them is that the movie never pushes back on this philosophy. Right? Like nobody is challenging Thanos' position. They just makes, don't want their friends to die. They just don't want their friends to die, right? Like yeah. if this movie, and I think it is just Charlie Problems the movie, like, it doesn't do anything interesting with those trolley problems. And there's space within that structure to have a conversation about the philosophical implications of that. But the real bigger problem isn't, that, isn't even that they don't have the philosophical conversation, they don't have the psychological conversation. We never understand what's really going on for Thanos, right? And I think, and, and I, when I first saw the movie, I was like, okay, the, the Gamora death is like the meaningful one. But even that one isn't really that meaningful. Right, because we don't know anything about the relationship. We, we're, we're told that he loves her for reasons and that she hates him for other reasons, but we're ne it's never dramatized, right? It's never shown to be anything more than just lip service to the audience so that we are told to feel something when she is made to be killed. And that, Well, they, they do do the scene when she's like a child. Right, which is just him yeah. philosophizing in ways that don't really add up to any kind of meaning. Right, and so when your your movie is supposed to be when when the villain is the driving force in the film, and he is right, like every narrative mo beat in this movie moves forward because of a choice that Thanos makes. 
when he's supposed to be the driving force, but his philosophy doesn't make any sense and his psychology is absent, your movie kind of doesn't have anything to say. And I feel like this movie doesn't have anything to say about anything. As opposed to Thor Ragnarok, right? Where Thor Ragnarok is about Thor learning that Asgard is not a place, it's a people, right? It's about the, the refugee story, it's about colonialism, right? Like it, it raises all of these interesting ideas and has a clear through line and makes sure that the villain is talking about those things. Even more so in Black Panther, right? Where they have the guts to make the hero wrong, right? Where he actually has to change because the villain is articulating a coherent theory about the world where we know something about why the villain feels that way because we see it on the screen and we see it dramatized in his flashback where he literally talks to his father the same way the hero does, right? Like all this stuff is just, it's, it's so rich, it's complex, it's good storytelling. And this movie doesn't, it, it only makes motions toward it. It doesn't actually do anything to draw out or interrogate those meaning those meanings and therefore the problem isn't that we know all these characters are going to come back at the end the problem is the problem is that there is their death isn't connected to any kind of larger thematic underpinning in the, the film at all so I, I, I see these characters that we're supposed to care about like most of the guardians like Black Panther I see them die at the end of this movie and I feel nothing I feel absolutely nothing. well when they died the audience that Charles and I were in like had pretty visceral reactions right. to the it's characters. It's surprising. Side. It's yeah. definitely surprising. I, w I, I'll, I'll, Which, I don't know. I felt pretty fucking gutted. Okay. I, to me... I it, was kind of surprised by that because I was like, wait, we've established that he can turn back time. Right. We know for sure in the sequel they're going exactly to save most of these characters when right. they turn back time. So it's just... So like, it's, I, I was like, nah, whatever. Like, kill them all, you know? Right, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, you know... You know that the depth doesn't mean anything. You know yeah. that uh, the MCU isn't breaking any... It, it still is embrace, embracing consequences in a real way. It's the same problem that Superman had, where if you can turn back time... Why not fix everything? There's, yeah, there's no consequences. Yeah, you can right? prevent all crises. May, I mean, maybe they'll set it up so that there are consequences, but if you can turn back time, there's like well, a limit. They talk about how there's limits to what the time stone can do and how you might like destroy well, Whatever, the but you know what's going like to happen that. in these movies. Yeah. Like, there's no way that they're... Not not only because these guys are signed up for other movies, but it's because we've seen comic book movies. I mean, the, the question will just be like, who they bring back, not will they bring people no, back. No, what's going to happen yeah. is yeah. that one of the, because the four main Avengers are still alive, because of course they are. Yeah. They're going to have to, probably Tony or Steve or both, because their contracts are up, are going to sacrifice themselves to bring back everybody else. And that's what it's going to be. It's going to be everybody else comes back because these two heroes died. That's what's going to happen in the next one. Guaranteed. And that—that that is, I, I, I well, feel I'm glad like I could forget the meta aspects of it because that made the ending that much more powerful. Right. I could enjoy it in the moment. Right. And the yeah. other problem with Thanos, again, like if you were into the movie, if you liked it, that is great, and you should embrace that, and that is a good thing, and enjoy the movie, <laughs> please. <laughs> the other problem with Thanos is that they had a better model for his psychology in the comics, right? Like one of the handful of times where that's been the case. Because right, in the comics, he is... I don't know, have either of you read Infinity Gauntlet? Like, no, but no. I heard what the plot was. I think you described it to me. Right, it's, so it's the, the rough approximation is that the reason he does the, the kill half the universe thing in the comics is that he is courting the literal personification of death. The death is a, another god in the Marvel Universe, a woman that Thanos wants to please, right? And so it becomes this story about like not being able to accept when you lost, 
right? Like that he can't get the girl and that he, he can't understand why and he thinks that if he can prove himself enough, he'll eventually get her. And that's really complicated and really relevant to what's going on and right now. surprisingly petty. Right, right. right. It's, yeah. Yes, it's, it's all of those things and it's super, super current, right, to the, the present day political climate and they do this other thing where he's like, Sad, kind of, for, for some reason. And it's like, well, okay, I guess Josh Brolin can carry this for a while, but it's still not a real psychology. And that's, uh, that's a shame. Or if it's a it's question a of resources, like embrace that and go yeah. into, right. like define a, an ideology here that that would make sense within. Because that echoes a lot with uh, elements of sort of extremist... Um, like libertarian. Yeah, extremist libertarian yeah. viewpoints where it's like there's ex, there's 100 resources in the world and we need to control all of them. Right. And yeah. Right. There's and an extreme like libertarian bent to it. So like explore that if that's... And it doesn't, yeah, right? And, yeah. and the, the closest they get is... That's, that's what got me after I was thinking about it. it was like, yeah, the yeah. closest they get is that uh, Steve Rogers says, oh no, we can't sacrifice vision. We have to find another way to get the stone out and destroy it without killing Vision. The trolley problem of the movie. The trolley problem of the movie. Yeah. They ignore that. In order to do that, they have to have this giant battle in Wakanda where a bunch of people are almost certainly going to die. right? And to save Vision. To save Vision. Yeah. And the point of not killing Vision is that every life matters, but here all these lives are going to be spent in order to save the one guy that we like. And well, I, mean, I think that's what the essential throughput of the movie is, right? They, they, they say repeatedly, we don't trade lives. Right. And so I guess that's a conflict, because Thanos is trading lives for the betterment of the universe, in his view, whereas the Avengers are too moral to do something like that. Right, but it doesn't, make, it doesn't add up to any. It doesn't make sense, right? Like, <laughs> narratively, it doesn't make any sense, because like, they're clearly trading lives. That's mm. what war is. And they're, like, waging war here to save, to save Vision. And that they don't engage with that idea at all, at, at, there's not even a mention of it, is really disappointing. It's really disappointing. One of the things that got me about this movie was the surprisingly corny look to the gauntlet and gems that he's collecting. very loyal to the source material. Oh, really? Because yes. it, it looks like costume jewelry that he's, yeah. like, after. Yeah. It, it, it's, the, I mean, that was pretty funny. Yeah, look it up. Look yeah. up a, a, a yeah. panel from Infinity Gauntlet. It is basically it is that. the same. Okay. Yeah, they haven't changed it at all. Uh, so, yeah. But, the, I mean, the effects work really well. This movie is so funny. Like, we have everybody being really charming and, and cute together. Love the Peter Dinklage cameo. Really? I did not. Really? I thought that was great. That To, to yeah. me, that might be the... Like, that whole sequence, like, oh, I have to forge a fucking weapon or something, like, might have been the low point for me. Like, that was the least interesting thing. Really? Oh, yeah. I thought it was... It was really epic. I I thought it was done incredibly well. A giant Peter Dinklage. I get that. Is, yeah, yeah, okay. I love, like, Very like, good. <laughs> the, yeah. That whole, like, the design of all that. I was like, I need a... The Guardians universe, is particularly in Guardians 1, has always yeah. been, like... This is a really cool, lush yeah. universe, and I like really like the detail in it. And then what, one of the ways that I've almost like had to conceptualize that universe is like it seems very easy for them to travel distance in that universe. And in my mind, it's like this is a universe where just like planets are just like very close to each other. Right. Yeah, that's like, the, like the only way that it makes sense. But that's like an interesting universe, right? To like explore. Yeah. So and the detail in it is great, including this like. Sun Forge that Peter yeah. Dinklage right. giant lives in. I guess my yeah. uh, part of the reason maybe I'm kind of down on that sequence is yeah. that 
it interrupted what was actually a pretty genuine character moment between Rocket and Thor, right? Where they're both commiserating over, like, where, where Thor is really grappling with what looks a lot like post-traumatic stress disorder because he just saw his entire civilization collapse and his whole family die one at a time in front of him, yeah. right? And he's, like, starting to talk about that and engage with that, but they have to stop to, you know, make a super weapon. And it's like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing now instead. Um, there's also the sequence um, where Red Skull does a cameo. Yes. And what was funny is, so there's this like super fan that's sitting behind Charles and I. Okay. And like every moment he's like, yes, yes. Like he's okay. like so excited. This is why I did not go opening. And then <laughs> they, our, our other friend Wade pointed this out, that when they reveal the, the Red Skull, uh-huh. He was like, "What?" He was like, <laughs> "He was like, he was like, not into that." Wow! And it was like, this moment is like made for you. Why don't you like this? I interpreted <laughs> it more as like an incredulous, like, "No way!" Sort of what? Really? I I heard it like Wade heard it, where it uh, was yeah. like, "This is bullshit." Yeah, this is this, <laughs> what? fucking dumb. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, my, I have a theory, and that that really cracked me up. That like <laughs> he just didn't like the. <laughs> One aspect that's made specifically for him. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. bit of fan service is too much. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but I have a theory about that guy's reaction because what yeah. I thought when I saw that is like, oh, they are going to have death be a character here. Yeah, I thought cause, like like in the comics because I so I bet what that guy saw was oh, finally the thing that I remember from Infinity Gauntlet. Oh, he's like let down by right, and it's yeah. not. It's some other thing. It's like oh, why isn't this which approximates death, death but isn't. right, but isn't yeah. and doesn't serve the same purpose at all. Um, so I bet that's what that was. That was reaching so far back in the lore for me that I was like, Who the, who the fuck's this guy? I had to like get confirmation afterwards yeah. that it was Red Skull because yeah. I was like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Because this movie's like literally, that's like 15 years ago now? Maybe? No, no. Is it 10? Uh, Iron Man came out in 2008. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's still a, while. a long time. Yeah, because like, that was like the third. Maybe six years ago then. Yeah. yeah, that was like the second or third Marvel movie was... First Avenger? What? I don't know if I told the story in the podcast before. When I saw the last Avengers movie, which is when they revealed Vision as a character for the in first time. Age of Ultron. Yeah, because he's like created in that movie. Yeah. There's a dude sitting, similar, similarly, there's a dude sitting in front of me. <laughs> and when they reveal Vision for the first time, he's like, like, I will never experience this level of happiness <laughs> in my life. He's just like... He was so blown away, and he was just like, "It's Vision!" And he was like, oh. <laughs> and he was like doing like a quiet movie yell, but like you wow. could like hear him. And he was so excited that Vision was like in the movie. You know, good like, for that guy. I know. I was like, I'll never love something so much as this guy. Right, and like, that's why I, yeah. I, I sometimes hesitate to yeah. criticize these movies because, like, I don't want to take that away from that dude, right? Like, if he's that excited about it, or you're that excited about Infinity War, fucking great, go be excited, like, yeah. be into it. Uh, yeah. I mean, the major, like, meta-criticism for me, which is that these, I don't even know if these are movies. These are just, these are just, like, episodes in the Marvel TV show. And that's, like, how they're made. They're not, they're not made like other movies. They're just, they're all shot on green screen. It's, you yeah, know, well, and each movie is just an episode in this TV yeah, show that we're watching. Very dependent on the last one that you saw. I don't and, even and know. And this is just season three finale. That's, yeah. like, that's what this is. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know if that's a bad thing. I think it's a true thing, but I don't know if 
it, it's such a new way of telling stories that I don't know if we can call that a negative. Well, it, it might just be what they're doing, and that's okay. I mean, it's it's a genius move on the part of Disney because they're doing the same thing with Star Wars. Because yeah. it's like audiences' interests have shifted away from movies because storytelling is better on TV because you you can tell a better story in multiple episodes. Well, maybe. So you why grow to like the characters more because you spend more time with them? Well, yeah, maybe. But like in general, well, that, that's like well. that's like a very blanket statement. But like in, in yeah. general, that's like the shift that's happened. I think that, that might, they may be responding to that belief. I'm not sure that it is a true belief. I think that 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 they are thinking that right that like TV is popular. Let's be more like TV. I'm. I don't think that they need to do that. Well, I think that TV just closed so much ground between itself and movies. Yeah, over yes, that's yeah, over again, the last ten years. True. And true. I think that's definitely put a dent in, you know, box office receipts. People's attention are definitely shifting like towards without TV. a doubt. Yeah. So I I think it's a very savvy move to just like, just make a TV show, and that's what Marvel, the, like the universe is. It's, right, with a movie budget. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, why not? And, cool. and Disney's the only one that can afford to do that. And they get to charge Clearly. 16 bucks an episode. Because the, the Fox version of this, like, sucks. Like, the X-Men movies here and now are good. There's, like, two. Yeah, there's a few that are great. Yeah. And the others are terrible. And they just, like, haven't figured it out. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know what that says about media. It's just everything is just becoming an HBO series now. Yeah, yeah. well, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still, I mean, obviously, standalone good original properties produced every weekend. You can go and find something that's usually pretty solid but if you live fits, in a big, big city. It also fits just the straight-up comic book formula, right? Yes. Yes, in many ways, right? Both in the sense that it's this iterative world that, you know, you have these characters bouncing off one another and having a good time. And also there's the, separate threads that get tied together. That get tied together. These moments. Also yeah. in the sense that there aren't really any consequences. Like sure. None of it really matters. Um, and they're not saying anything all the way through. Um, so yes, I think that they're becoming a lot more like their their source material. It would be difficult to say something in a movie like this because like each of the individual movies like have their own ideology and their own creator who has a singular vision. And then they, and then they get away from that person and then it's a new director. And, yeah, which and, is what... Yeah. yeah, I think they made a good decision making... <laughs> the, the lead is Thanos. And they made a good decision with that for that reason. You don't have to worry about like finishing off. Like, who do you pick? Whose arc are you going to finish That's off? probably why the movie makes more sense. Whereas yeah. like Ultron in that movie, he just kind of pops in and out and you're like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I care about... They're trying to do like an yeah. Iron Man plot line, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, it was a Tony Stark movie and yeah. he should have died, right? Like if they if they were telling a coherent story about his hubris and like how he's overstepping, whatever, yeah, he probably he probably should have died. And what a wasted film! Who's who's the guy that voices James Spader? James Spader, such a great actor, and what a waste to not. Yeah, like, my disappointment there was he seems so menacing in the trailers, and then his character in the movie was just like making wisecracks and jokes and stuff, and it just lost any of the intimidatingness <laughs> that could have made him a good villain. Yeah, again, because there's... You pointed it out earlier, right? It's just a, I want to kill everybody, because yeah. that's it's like, that's how we'll keep things care. safe, which is exactly what Thanos thinks. He's probably not going to be able to kill everyone. Yeah. Yeah, whereas, like, even the recent Alien movies, like, the, you know, the philosophical question of AI is 
dealt in with a much more interesting way with like Michael Fassbender's portrayal of AI. Okay, yeah. Versus this yeah, one, where, but yeah, where it's just like an evil, oh, he's, an he's evil bad. robot. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he turned evil. Yeah, well, and or it, even the Terminator like deals with that question better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and they have a model now too, right? Like I think they're the excuse that oh, it's just a comic book movie. Oh, it's just a, a Marvel movie, just a Disney movie. Yeah. Like in a post Black Panther world, that doesn't make any sense. Right, because they, they've demonstrated that they can do it. Right, like they can make a really, really good, thoughtful movie that people take seriously and are correct to take seriously. Um, and yeah, I don't know, it's a bummer. Mm -hmm. I feel like this movie could have been better. Um, but again, if you like it, and you probably did, because everybody seemed to have liked it, great, go like it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, my closing thoughts are exceeded my expectations, which were low. Um, it's. Surprisingly funny, even though yeah, it, yeah it had all yeah. the charm and the wit that you expect from the Marvel stuff. I laughed a lot at this, watching this movie. It was yeah. fun, like I did. I, I think the action's a lot clearer in this movie too. They get a, they do a much better. It's still messy, I but it's it's better than the old, the previous the oh. first Avengers movie where it's just like space guys and you're just like a bunch. Oh, I I, yeah. I felt almost the exact opposite. Oh, I, really? Yeah, where I was like, I wish this were more like Avengers one. I mean, I wish it were oh. more like Ragnarok. Which yes, it's a better the movie. action in that movie is it, yeah beautifully like, shot. Like that that battle for New York in Avengers One is a masterful action sequence. Like you see exactly what's going on every beat. You know you know it works. Like they they map out the geography on like a macro level really well, but also like individual fights work really well. Like I I, I wanted more of that kind of filmmaking, and it, it felt really chaotic to me when they were fighting. You know whoever the fuck they were fighting in Wakanda in this movie. <laughs> when when uh, uh, T'Challa dies yeah. in this movie, someone in the art theater was like, fuck Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. I think they took the time to say out the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> the Marvel yeah, right. Cinematic yeah. It was a woman, too. Wow, which that's, is great. That's she was thing. so devastated by that. She has not read Infinity Gauntlet or any comic ever because T'Challa's fine. T'Challa is okay, everybody. I mean, they kill Spider Man. They kill a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spider Man's gonna be okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Um, in the moment, it definitely gets you, but afterwards, I was like, ah, they're, they're yeah. Well, that's just it. Yeah. I'm surprised. That's yeah. what I feel in the moment. I feel surprised because yeah. I didn't think they would go for it. I thought I really it was didn't. an awesome way to just cut off the movie. Right, right. So in that sense, I was surprised, yeah. but then it had no lasting effect. It had no real visceral impact. Or no, it had visceral impact. It didn't have any like emotional impact. It was just surprise for me. I guess I'm thinking about it from the perspective of people in the Marvel world seeing just half of everyone get wiped, get wiped out. So I, I left that feeling pretty wiped out. Okay, I mean, and you're in good company because a lot of people responded that same way. So I acknowledge that I'm I'm firmly in the minority here. I thought the Samuel Jackson after credits thing was hilarious. Oh, where <laughs> he starts trying, the belt, he's like, yeah. mother, and they just like cut yeah. him off there. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. I was really waiting for a Brie Larson appearance and not to be. Not no, to be they true. just not show that. Yeah, get the yet. little symbol. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Charles, any... what was your final thoughts here, Charles? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it quite a bit. I really loved that kind of impending doom feeling. Yeah. Um, when they do it in media, and they did it very well in this one because you see how powerful Thanos is, and you see him building up his power, and it seems so inevitable. But everybody's like trying to get together and make a like last stand and try to figure out their plans and all that. Um, 
yeah, I really love that kind of tone or like that kind of plot line. And they did that really well here. They really gave you that sort of tension, that feeling of dread throughout the movie yeah. that it, built up to the ending. Yeah, it definitely did that. Like there was, this is mm, the only tense Marvel movie, I think. And yeah, it, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that read. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I disliked it because I didn't. I, there was a lot of this movie that I really liked, but um, I am not as, as high on it as, as some folks. Unfortunately, I wanted to like it. That's where we are. What are we watching next week? Um, I want to stay with the music theme, um, but not as goofy. Um, so we're gonna so we're gonna watch uh, Almost Famous, okay? Um, which is a movie I haven't seen in a while that I like a lot. Um, that also has a fa- a famous '70s song music moment. I wasn't sure if you were gonna choose this or Days and Confused. Days and Confused is a goofy movie. <laughs> it definitely is. I like that movie a lot, but it is. Well, I had you down to one of those two. Okay. And... Well, you, good work then. You, okay. you got there. Yeah. Um, so join us uh, next week for Almost Famous. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>